Hello and welcome to Cranky Commentaries. As always, I'm your host, Jack Del Mastro, and as always, I'm joined by my very good friend and co-host, Keaton Byer. Hello, Keaton. Get on with it! <laughs> well, I suppose we may as well take that advice uh, and get on with it. The movie we're doing <laughs> is Monty Python and the Holy Grail. And what an excellent movie it is. It's quite the film. Yeah, we're uh, we're on a good uh, a good streak of films here. Yeah, and they're only going to go downhill. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> well, that's that's. I mean, I mean. That depends on your perspective. Yeah, I, I mean, it's hard to not go downhill after this film, though. To be honest, because this is just yeah such a good film, such an excellent film. Um, yeah, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Uh, doesn't really need much introduction. <clears throat> if you're familiar, you know, with it. one might say it's it's the holy grail of Monty Python's like uh, yeah. Output. I think you would say that, and I'm not even joking. Like, I, I mean, that's a good pun. Well done. Yeah, but it's also Thank true. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So, like, should we? Uh, I guess, yeah. If you if you know about the film, doesn't really need any introduction. If you if you don't know about the film, we're gonna. We're going to get into everything. We're going to spoil it for you, so go watch it. Well, let's just quickly introduce the film. Like, uh, so, it, like, it's, it, what What would you say the genre is? Uh, it, uh, it, I mean, it's, it's comedy, first and foremost. Yeah, I would say it's, it's an, a, debatably an adventure. It's an epic historical comedy. Epic historical, yeah. Yeah, that's what it is. It's. Yeah, I I would agree. Lightly with that. historical. Lightly historical. I mean, it's it's pretty historical in a lot of ways. Like all the characters are are accurate, and the uh, you know are they? Well, in in I their mean, names. If it's based on something that's arguably. I mean, they're accurate to the, to the legend. I mean, they're yeah. not like yeah historic, but it's still a historical you know yeah. thing. Anyway. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, it's their, it's their, their, f- it's their first like they made one other film before yeah, this, right? Yeah, yeah, and we'll talk about that more in depth. But yeah, they made one other film, but that's all sketch sketches. So this is their first like yeah, fully. Yeah, so this is their first like proper. Yeah, film. fully original like film. Yeah, it's, and mm-hmm. it's spectacular, and it's probably their best film. I mean, their other. Yeah. So uh, if you're if you're not familiar with Monty Python, they're basically like. This British sketch comedy, yeah, right? Right. We guess we should like, establish was that really huge in the 1970s and 80s, I guess as well. And you know they, to this day, but you know obviously they're old now, so. Well, they're not active doing it anymore. Though. I know they're, but they're legends. Yeah, they're not. Active. They're they're legends. Yes, absolutely. True, legends. absolute legends. Um, yes. Especially, yeah, in the comedy world, um, mm-hmm. obviously. So, without further ado, I suppose we should get on with it. Yeah, let's get on with and, it. And uh, why don't why don't you do the summary? I will get my timer ready. Okay, I guess yeah, all right. I guess it is technically my turn, isn't it? It's it's not technically your turn. It is your technically turn. Technically speaking, <laughs> if you're being fully, you know, scientific about it, yeah, I guess it's my turn. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Ready. Three, two, one. Co- time running. Okay, so after a 
very long opening credit sequence in which we learn of the fate of the jobs of many individual individuals and something that there's a lot of, you know, uh, I believe it's Swedish. Correct me if I'm wrong. Swedish moose talk. Um, yeah, they do say Swedish. Swedish moose, so quote unquote, Swedish moose talk. A lot of that. So after that occurs, we open on, you know, fucking King Arthur uh, with his uh, his trusty squire Terry Gilliam, I mean Patsy, are uh, clip clopping through through Britain. Uh, what are they? You know, they're there's you know it's a great opening scene too. It's like super cinematic in the uh, misty uh, hills. Anyway, they fi- they come across a castle, and then the uh, the Frenchman in the castle uh, correctly points out that they're not actually riding horses. They're only he's not French. What is he? He's just British. You're confusing the scenes, but anyway, get on with it. The guy in the, in the castle with the sparrows. Yeah, yeah he's not. Oh, French. Oh right, right, right. This is pre-Frenchman. Yeah, right. So this this is just this is just Michael Palin in the castle who he comes across. Anyway, he who correctly points out that he's not using uh, 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 horses. They're just you know hitting coconuts and this this spawns you know a very long bit which carries on throughout the whole film about sparrows uh flight velocity and coconuts and you know tethering between their dorsal fins and all that um uh dorsal feathers my mistake sorry they're birds (laughs) um (laughs) but so anyway they uh they they're looking around for people to join their uh join their you know group to quest yeah to to you know just, he's just trying to find ben because he's the king of he's 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 the new king of camelot or of you know britain um so he's looking for knights of the round table he uh jesus christ there's so many little things in this movie i like he but essentially he ac- recruits a bunch of knights in uh, a couple ways the most Im- specific one is the one with the witch um, and that's a great scene with the uh, weighing the witch, uh, who turns out to actually be a witch after all that. Um, You're halfway done. Oh my God! Already, Jesus Christ! <laughs> yeah. Um, Get on with it. Yeah. So then, you know, a lot of stuff happens. There's a lot. Of the, the the knights decide they're gonna find the Holy Grail um, because God comes to them, literally comes to them and tells them that that's what they're gonna do. So they, they do that for a bit, but it's not working out. Uh, they encounter the French soldiers. That's the scene I'm, I'm thinking of, I believe, right? Where they have to, yeah, the Trojan yeah, yeah, rabbit yeah. with the French soldiers. Um, and then they, uh, they decide to split up, and, you know, everybody goes on their own, you know, ridiculous quest. Sir, Sir uh, Galahad the Pure encounters a bunch of <coughs> virgins, Sir Lancelot. The chaste. The chaste, yeah, yeah. Well, it, sa- it yes. says the pure at first, and then he calls himself the chaste. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah, so then he, 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 Sir Lancelot comes to save him, and then Sir Lancelot, you know, liberates a wedding, kills a bunch of people. Uh, Sir Robin encounters a giant, and then the king uh, 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 finds the knights who say knee. That happens, and then a lot of other stuff <laughs> happens. They encounter an old man who tells them that they're going to have to go through a cave. Uh, eventually they come across Tim, the magician, who uh, sends them into, who comes, uh, brings them to the, the man-eating bunny who kills most of the guys except for the main cast. 
They go into the cave. They there's a fucking monster who you know one minute fucking chases them around. They get out on the other side because uh, Terry Gilliam, the animator, had a heart attack. Then they encounter the old man from scene 24, I believe, who asks them three questions. Most of Arthur's men aren't smart enough to make it, but they get across. Sir Lancelot's arrested. Uh, 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 Arthur gets to the castle with the Grail, and then the Frenchmen are there, fucking being dicks about it. So then he gets all his soldiers, and they're about to charge the fucking castle and get the Grail from the Frenchmen. But then you know the police pull up, and they all get arrested because I forgot to mention a scene earlier where a quote unhistorian fucking uh, uh, starts telling the story and then gets murdered by a a, a, a medieval person. So sp- presumably uh, they blame the crime on one of these guys. So they all get arrested, and then. Yeah, just the movie just ends because they, yeah, put their hands in the cameras and then it just plays organ music and goes to black for about three minutes and then, yeah, nothing else happens. And that's the end of the uh, of the movie. That's that's the timer there. Yeah, there we go. I'm sure I missed a bunch of stuff because there's a bunch of just little skits in there. You know, it's all just a series, obviously, of yeah, skits. Yeah, it is kind of the way the movie's structured, which is to say not It's much. not really a narrative, <laughs> per se. It's like a it's a yeah, broad narrative. There's, there's like four things yeah. that happen. So why don't we uh, get go through our initial thoughts on this movie? All right. Do you want to go first? Yeah, I mean, obviously it's the ultimate anticlimax movie. Mm-hmm. They say that like a bunch of times when talking about this movie. <laughs> that term anticlimax. Yeah, they wrote it that way. Yeah. Um, but it's unbelievably good. Like regardless, like that's. You know what? Not necessarily what makes it good, in my opinion. Like that's like not the best part about it or anything. But uh, it's just such a funny fucking movie. Like each bit is like more like memorable than the last. Maybe it's just that I'm. It's nostalgic for me because you know I grew up with this movie and I've seen it a bunch of times. But good lord, it's fucking funny. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I'm with you. Mostly on that. Uh, like, I've definitely seen this movie, like, a million times. Like, I know all the skits. Yeah. Like, um, but it's, like... I think, like, watching this movie, I actually realize, like, from a filmmaking perspective, it's flawed in many ways. Well, of, of what do you mean from a filmmaking perspective? I mean, that's been obvious and I think from that the it, start, don't you think? Like, that's... From what do you the mean? first viewing, it's obvious that it's not like other yeah. movies in most ways. No, no, but I think it gets away with an awful lot, uh, like, by being a comedy. Well, just... Like, I think, like, like for example, the whole thing where they don't ride horses. Yeah. that's Like, see, you know, the reason why they don't ride horses is because they didn't have the budget for horses, right? Yeah, of course. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they just decide to play it off with a joke. Yeah. It's perfect. Or it's like, um, because I, once again, uh, this is the Terry's. First time directing a film, from what I understand, yep. and like it, it, it seems very clear. Like they didn't really know how to put it together. No, they had no idea exactly. And there's that whole like animation bit in the middle that they kind of have to throw in to make it like more than one anime. There's several from... animation bits that like yeah. bridge basically the plot that like make it yeah. a cohesive movie. Exactly. So like, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's obviously it's always never it's never been like a conventional movie in any. <laughs> Yeah, but I I would say that like, like um, what what like the and once again I think there's a lot of this movie does well to sort of like you know deflect those flaws by like making a joke out of it for example yeah 
Yeah. But it does honestly seem very amateurish at certain points. Yeah, but I mean, that's kind of what makes this movie so good. Because it is so amateurish, but it's it's such a good movie that's like... Yeah, no, no. Yeah, don't get me wrong. Once again, it's hilarious. I'm, I'm confused as to your point because that's so ingrained into the movie that it's like so much of a, a, a clearly like not... It feels like it's just made and, you know, by... A, Bunch of well, people. I'm trying to say it wasn't a choice. Right, I see what you're saying. I'm saying it wasn't a choice, and they played it off. Right, I see what you're saying. Yeah, no, they did totally. Yeah. They they were forced into a lot yeah. of things that, like, I guess maybe if they had a budget, there would have been horses in the movie. <laughs> exactly, there would have been, right? Yeah. So, yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, actually, there's one horse in this movie. Wait, where is it? It's when the historian gets murdered. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. There's that one horse. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that didn't work with just a guy running through. It looked kind of silly. <laughs> yeah. They had to get an actual horse. So, which is why you know that they didn't do it. Yeah, exactly. It's true. Because they don't have horses. Exactly. They're innocent. They're innocent. They're innocent. Yep. Good point. Good point. <laughs> but, um, yeah, like like I was saying, like there's, there's certain times where, like, you know, uh, like shots are literally out of focus oh, or yeah, yeah, like no. you well, know the, the, the um, shrubber shot you could tell they only had there's like one oh and then there it. was that one right like with the knights who say knee that looked like it like that was from a different like cut in from like some backup copy exactly. or something like, like they de- didn't have like if it was like from it looked like it was from some 16 millimeter print or yeah, something it, and it's totally like, different like they definitely just didn't have and it's a like shot for that moment like an yeah, out of focus so i don't know different i don't camera. know <laughs> Yeah, um, but like other than that, I thought like you know the costumes were actually really really good. Surprisingly so, yeah, yeah. And like, um, like <laughs> this movie's really fucking gross. Yeah, well, I mean, it is, it is. But go on. <laughs> it's like, no, I just, I just that just stands out to me. It's not a, it's part of the humor, but it's like. Yeah, but in what way? What do you mean? Like it's um. Like, visually disgusting. Like, with all the grime. Oh, yeah, there's just grime everywhere, and there's, like, yeah. like gross, like, warts on people's faces, and... Yeah, and there's that whole bring out your death oh, yeah. scene. Yeah, God, yeah. Just... And then there's the dead animals. Yeah, it's true. It is gross. It is a lot of... <laughs> Being thrown away, like, and they get shit poured on yeah, them. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I do get kind of a... a I, I feel like I get a hint of the fact that they're, like, poking fun that, you know themselves and like the yeah history I, th- of I would say so England a little bit like fucking the mid ages you know fucking like yeah they are they are like making fun of the middle ages definitely it's like, like this uh, my favorite bit is the with the the peasants who are like oh there's some there's some filth over here <laughs> like when the, and, and then they start oppressed. talking about like you know being oppressed <laughs> it's the violence inherent in the system it's the violence inherent in the system <laughs> God, that scene is so good <laughs> Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, and he's like, bloody peasant. And he's like, oh, you see, yeah. you see? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, God, that's funny. I didn't vote for you. Yeah, basically, that's that's kind of the initial thoughts, right? It's, it's just really fucking, really good movie. But yeah, definitely clearly limited by their budget. It's very, that's it's a very singular yeah, movie. But I think one of some of the most, like, it, Unique things about the movie ended up coming from that. Well, like definitely some of the most memorable things about it, like, like yeah, exactly, like the coconut, the coconut thing, exactly, is one of the most universally 
recognizable. Yeah. You know, references to this movie. I don't know. Also, the last thing, like, I know the cop-out is funny at the end. Yeah. But it always kind of bothered me. Oh, yeah, me too. As a kid, well, here's the thing. <laughs> it bothered me way more as a kid than it did, like, more recently. Yeah. I definitely, like, enjoyed it way more this time. But as a kid, yeah, it totally bothered mm-hmm. me. Felt like, because... Yeah, it's like, just want... aren't they going to show those Frenchmen who's boss, you know? Yeah, and, like, as a kid also, you just, like, you just want it to keep going, too. <laughs> and mm. it's, like, it gets kind of mm. serious for that last bit, too, which is kind of disappointing as a kid. Like... Quote unquote. What do you mean? Like, and I'm being oh. serious as in for like about 14 seconds, like prior to the yeah. end. But you don't. But it also doesn't make a lot of sense. No, I mean, it's clearly like they just didn't know what to do. So they just fucking. Yeah, like it. it it's it, kind of like Wayne's World in that sense. Like, remember when we talked about Yeah, they just didn't endings? really know how to end it, I feel so like. It's a bit of a cop out, but yeah. it, I find it works in this movie just because, I mean, Monty Python has kind of like a gift of their style of comedy lends itself to people. Uh, they can kind of do anything and it'll just be like, Oh yeah, that is intentional because <laughs> they're just being exactly. weird. Well, exactly. So it's like, I, I, I think once again, this film gets away with a lot by being a comedy. <laughs> yeah. Well being specifically their style. Yeah, of exactly. Too. Like, yeah. Yeah. There was another thing that I thought was funny that, uh, I don't know if it was done on purpose. Was What's that there's that? a lot of scenes where, um, oh god, uh, what's his name? The knight in the blue uh, outfit. Terry Jones. Yeah, Terry Jones. Um, where he's holding up like the thing, the the the, the helmet, um, like flap that's yeah. on front. Yeah. And he has to like hold it, or else it's gonna fall over. Yeah. And I don't know if that was intentional. Oh, or that he's that holding it up? That he, or, yeah, right. Because <laughs> it's kind of funny that he has to keep, like, his hand on it, like, while he's, like, anyway. But, yeah, um, no, that is hilarious. Yeah, no, And I don't point. know if that was done on purpose or if that's just, if the prop just did that. I've always, yeah, I've always noticed that as well. And then always the fact that the the way it's designed, it looks like, like, when it's down, those lines are in front of his eyes. I guess it's because it's a helmet, you know, it's supposed yeah, to protect exactly. your eyes. But, like, you think you'd, there's... Anyway, better way to do that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Then block your vision entirely. I don't know. Uh, yeah. But yeah, uh, just so many great bits of this movie. Like, what do you think? Do you have a, just a favorite? I mean, we have to move on. We've been talking about the, you know. I mean, my favorite, like, single bit yeah. is when the witch sits on the scale. Yeah, that's true. That's probably that whole bit start to finish. It has just the most in it. Like, she turned yeah. into a newt. And yeah, like I got the, like, better. <laughs> yeah. And like the like well, the fucking yeah. duck. And like, you know, how did you become so wise in the ways of science? Because he shouted a duck. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, just got I mean, everything. Yeah, I mean again, it's so it's so funny. Like go watch it mm-hmm. again if you haven't watched it. Like mm-hmm. pause right now. Stop listening. I urge you and go watch it and then come back. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, let's let's talk about the the, the basic facts, and we can get into some more detail uh, about the movie because yeah, it's a great fucking ridiculous movie. So you said yeah, you mentioned the directors. Uh, yeah, the two Terrys. Two, two Terrys, Terry Gilliam and Terry Jones. We'll Terry pull- Gilliam, who would later go on to direct quite a few movies. Quite a few mu- movies, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
what did, did we talk about him before? Terry Gilliam? Anyway, yeah, Possibly. I feel like his name I'm sure he's once, come up. It, oh, it was uh, Deborah Hill. Fucking uh, just produced a movie of his. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Yeah, so we'll talk about a little bit later on in the episode, actually right after this, we'll talk more about kind of the individual... Uh, we'll get kind of because there's a lot of people in Monty Python, right? Obviously, so yeah. we'll just kind of we'll try and we'll because t- we're gonna talk about all of them over the next yeah. two episodes a lot. So we'll just kind of go through them to try and get a better grasp on who each who one is. Who is Monty Python? Yeah, yeah, and then we'll 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 cover like the actual history. But first, we just I just want to like we'll just name each member and we can you know kind of describe yeah. them. So like when we say their name later, like you know fucking which one we're talking about, and you know if. if you already know that then sorry <laughs> yep um but yeah okay so the two directors the two terry's terry gilliam terry jones the obviously the whole gang wrote the movie the whole production and financing is a weird thing obviously if you know about this movie you'll know that that'll we'll, we'll get into all that later yeah there's not really any other actors in this movie uh besides the uh the uh the cast and then obviously there's tons of other not tons but a few other like uh side characters who are kind of the usual monty python uh uh you know side characters who appeared in their in their show and in their other Mm -hmm. movies or in their other movie and then later movies the uh, production companies, Monty Python Pictures, and again, the financing is weird. We'll talk about why it's weird. It's, it's great. And it finally came out in 1975, which was right after the show finished, which is, again, yeah, relevant to the whole thing. It's all a very interesting story, actually. It's very, uh, very, it all comes together very, very well. Mm. Um, and it, it very much seems like it almost didn't. <laughs> yeah, it very well couldn't have. Very well yeah. couldn't have. So actually, we'll we'll save the budget for later because, it, like I said, it's weird. Um, so let's get into kind of let's talk about who Monty Python is. Um, so let's start to who are you the most familiar with in Monty Python? Uh, well, I would say like John Cleese because I feel like he's done the most outside of Monty Python. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I would agree. So with I that. think most people probably know who he is. Yeah. Um, other than that, like uh, Eric Idle, uh, and you know, then all the other ones are just like. Yeah, 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 they're all around. So John Cleese, yeah, yeah, he's so he's Sir Lancelot in this movie, and ever a bunch of other people. Tim, <laughs> yeah, he's everybody in this movie plays like a bunch of different roles. Except I don't, I don't think Graham Chapman plays no any other roles. No, no, he? I think he, he plays he like just maybe, plays King Arthur. I think he might play like one or two other little ones, but yeah, I think they kind of wanted it to be kind of. Like the King Arthur had to be kind of like you know because he's kind of the straight man in a little bit of a way, which is yeah, funny. kind of, kind of. <laughs> uh, but for I mean for Monty Python, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah. John Cleese he did like Faulty Towers and stuff, and he was in uh in the Shrek, uh franchise. Yeah, some voice acting in in Hollywood and stuff as well. Um, and then yeah, Graham Chapman he played as we as you said King Arthur. He did like when did he passed away? Apparently, nineteen eighty nine. So a long time ago. Yeah. So he was the he passed away quite a while ago. So yeah, I guess he didn't have much of an opportunity to do a bunch of other stuff after the Monty Python years. So then yeah, you mentioned Eric Idle. 
he I always knew him uh, other than Monty Python. He was in uh, Baron Munchausen. 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 Mm-hmm. God, it's a weird fucking movie. That's a weird, weird fucking movie. That makes this movie look normal. Which is actually movie a movie I've like. never seen. Yeah. So Eric Idle, I'm trying to remember, he's done. He has done a bunch of other stuff. He's mostly just kind of been like characters in stuff that he's done in Hollywood. Yeah, he's often a smaller character. He like he cameos in a yeah, lot of things. Yeah, exactly. So he, he, but he's around, and in this movie, he is uh, Sir Robin. And he's brave, uh, Sir Robin. Brave Sir Robin, brave, brave Sir Robin, who bravely ran away, away. Um, he's uh, Roger the Shrubber. Yeah. He's the bring out your dead guy. Yeah. Uh, he's he's also one of the guys yelling to burn the witch. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they all are. <laughs> yeah, they all are. Um. Um. Yeah. They're definitely yeah. It, it it's it's not really worth like you know Going listing all, all the roles them. that ever been played no. because there's just too many. Yeah, exactly. Just mostly just the 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 knights that they play. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So then you have Terry Jones, the first Terry. Um, mm-hmm. he plays what's his name, Sir Bedivere, the Wise. Okay. Uh, so the yeah, the one who knows so much in science. Yeah, yeah, and the guy with the, the guy with the flip thing. And so he's one yeah. of the directors, Terry Jones. Um, and then the other Terry is Terry Gilliam, who yeah he plays Patsy in this movie. Yeah, um, he has very few lines. Yeah, because he if any never. Really I don't think he has any lines as Patsy. Yeah, I think he says like one maybe thing. I mostly expressions though. <laughs> but he plays a couple other characters, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. I think he 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 makes some appearances. I and I think. Because he, he's the animator, right? So he, in the show, he was the animator. Um, mm-hmm. And I think he did some writing as well. And uh, I don't know that in the show he actually really appeared very much. I think he may have briefly appeared, but he's mo- he's not really a cast member, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. But he's, uh, he's a, one of the strange minds who is, I think, pretty relevant to the, the whole soup. Um, mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah, like th- that animation's so, like, uh, iconic. Exactly, unique. It's, it's so iconic, yeah. so unique. Both. And then finally, you have Michael Palin, who I always knew before, like as a kid before I saw Monty. And I saw Monty Python really young, but before I saw Monty Python, I saw the his TVO show, <laughs> which I forget. Uh, what it's which called. one was that? It's called like uh, Michael Michael Palin, like a rat goes around the world or something. What is it? Uh, Michael I... Palin, TVO. It was probably like a British show. It was probably a BBC series <laughs> yeah, that they yeah. aired on TVO because TVO. Yeah, it was just Michael Palin like going around and like doing stuff in like different parts of the world. It was weird. It wasn't a comedy show. It was just him like going around the world. Well, this seems like it's a newer one. Anyway, it doesn't matter. It was him. It, he, that's what I remember it from. But then I found it really weird. Like when they when like uh, they sh- they show me the fu- this fucking movie is like, look, it's Michael Palin from that show, and he's fucking hilarious. Anyway, people of TVO uh, uh, generation will understand. <laughs> he was Sir. Was he Galahad? was Sir Galahad. The the, the, the chaste. chaste or that's <laughs> the pure. <laughs> 
Um, yeah. <laughs> and he actually, he didn't play a hell of a lot of other roles, but he did play other roles, like, as you said, everybody did. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so... Well, was he not uh, not one of the peasants? He was the peasant. He was the... Yeah. The... <laughs> I'm being repressed. Exactly. I'm <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did you see the violent inherent in the system? God, I love that. It's <laughs> so funny. It's a really good it bit. It is such a good <laughs> bit. Um, so yeah, that's that's the uh, the uh, uh, that's the cast. Those are all the the, the members. So that's Graham Chapman, John Cleese, Terry Gilliam, Eric Idle, Terry Jones, and Michael Palin. And there are, there are a couple of notable people who who aren't covered in the main Monty Python. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, well, they like, had a uh, bunch of kind of recurring people who were, like, definitely yeah. very much... Um, Neil Innes, I think is his name, uh, he plays a couple roles in the movie, but I think he's most notable for making the music. Yeah, yeah. We'll talk about him next week a lot more because the music's awesome. Yeah, and then there was also uh, Carol Cleveland yeah. and Connie Booth. Those two are also... They're in the uh movie prior to this and you know in the show a lot so they're yeah. they're long time collaborators exactly yeah um so yeah that's that's so those are the members so let's let's talk about their how they all came together and then we'll, that'll kind of bleed into the the pre-production cuz you know <coughs> I say this every time but you know, maybe we'll do another Mighty Python project later. You never know. So I don't want to, like, you know, fall too deep down the rabbit hole of their history because obviously it's exactly, about yeah. it's about them. But you know, I think it is kind of important because this movie, it, like, you s- it's such a weird, unique, specific movie that it, it, I feel like it really does like it really matters, like the 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 the, the background, you know, to understanding this movie. I, well, at least yeah, I I would say so. Yeah. So we'll just give you a brief history, um, of the Monty Python, uh, c- collective, the troop. So basically, basically they all met at fucking university, but like not at the same university. There's <laughs> like various groups <laughs> at university, two separate groups. So you have in at in one enclave, uh, you have at Cambridge. You have Cambridge, yeah. Graham Chapman, John Cleese, and Eric Idle, and then they join the comedy group Footlights, which is like apparently a pretty big, like you know, uh, you know, school-wide thing. They've been doing. They did it since like the fifties. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they were they're pretty popular. And I think like they're maybe it's because they went on to. I mean. I say maybe definitely because they went on to be in Monty Python, but you know their their uh, works in this is like preserved in the school archives or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then in the in the other enclave you have is at Oxford, um, and that's wow. So these are these are some fairly highly educated. Uh, I know, so. yeah, I know. <laughs> um, you have Cambridge and Oxford. Yeah, huh? exactly, Cambridge and o- Oxford. So you have. At Oxford, Terry Jones and Michael Palin. Actually, so let's see. I don't know. I don't actually find out. Like, not that it actually matters at all. I'm just curious where <laughs> Terry Gilliam went to school, <laughs> or if oh. like what his uh his uh university 
alma mater, Occidental College, private liberal arts, co- arts college in L.A. Right, because he's also the only one of the, the troop who wasn't Yeah, British. I, should, I don't know. I wish, definitely should have mentioned that earlier, like when we yeah. went through it. He's American. He's the only one yes. that's American. But yeah, so he's not in the picture yet, um, obviously, because there were uh, yeah, in Cambridge and Oxford. Oxford. So yeah, Terry Jones and Michael Palin, they kind of joined the equivalent to like Footlights. I don't think the Oxford group is quite as like popular, like outside mm-hmm. of the school, like doesn't have quite as much acclaim. Um, but still, they're they're you know they're doing doing stuff. And they, these two kind of become writing partners, so they're, they kind of hook up at, at uh, Oxford. Basically from, like I said, because the Footlights thing was actually quite popular, it pretty quickly led to the, those three guys getting a job on a radio show, a BBC radio show, um, mm-hmm. in 1964. And that radio show apparently was pretty popular with, with, with the Utes. So on this show, only John Cleese was a cast member. Uh, Chapman and Idol are writers on that show. Okay. At one point, Footlights, the uh, Cambridge group, goes to New York for uh, on a tour. Um, and this is where John Cleese meets Terry Gilliam, who, I don't think because of this meeting necessarily, but he does move, he moves to London to, uh, to start working on, like, TV shows and whatever. It's like an animator, basically. And then, so, in 1966, so remember the radio show was 1964, um, and then in 1966, the whole crew, except for Gilliam, gets a job on a show called The Frost Report. Mm-hmm. And what's that? It's basically kind of like it's kind of like a a talk like not it's like a talk show without the the the, the talk. It's a variety show. It's like there's okay. like a host who like gives a monologue, and then there's like some sketches and but other stuff, you know. Uh, it was it was a, I forget who the guy something Frost obviously was the guy who w- gave the monologues uh, on the Frost Report. It only lasted like one season, so I don't think it was like amazingly like popular. Maybe it's like more of a cult thing now. But at the time, though, Cleese again, only one in the cast. <laughs> um, the rest, okay. the rest are writers. Uh, but Eric Idle specifically writes the monologues for the guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I feel like is still a job to this day. Like people write, you know, for Stephen Colbert, there's like a guy who just writes the monologues or whatever. Because I feel like that's like a, that's your day. You know, if you're in the monologue, you gotta. Do, that's like. Yeah, that uh, that's yeah. A lot of work. I feel like a lot of the show kind of hinges on that, yeah. right? But yeah, so this kind of like gets them all together for the first time. All the all the British folks, at least, um, together. Uh, for the first time, and then, you know, they, they've all kind of broken into TV, and they start just doing a bunch of shows kind of in the 60s. Like, there's, like, ten shows or something on that, like, various combinations of them did. Some of them work, some of them don't. In 1967, Idle, Jones, Palin, and Gilliam, so that's kind of the biggest combination of them thus far, do a TV show called Do Not Adjust Your Set which is pretty popular and runs for a couple years and uh, catches the attention of the studio. They're not the only ones in it, but they're kind of some of the main guys. Mm -hmm. So the studio offers them their own show in uh, in 1969, while simultaneously the BBC had offered 
John Cleese and Graham Chapman a show because they had been in a show mm-hmm. together kind of at the same time. See, it's kind of confusing here because there's like just a bunch of little shows. So they keep basically, they keep doing shows with some permutation of them. Yeah, like sometimes it's Cleese, uh, Palin, and Jones, and sometimes it's... But they're never all in one Yeah, a, 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 exactly. Um, so then... BBC offers Cleese and Chapman like a two-man show. Mm -hmm. And Chapman was into it, but allegedly Cleese was wary of Chapman's reputation because apparently it was, quote, erratic. (laughs) He had... He was was apparently sometimes erratic, apparently, to kind of like, you know, let's get more people in on this. I don't want to be like hanging in the balance with this erratic person. (laughs) Uh, yeah, okay, I see. Um, you know, so he apparently invited uh, Michael Palin, who he had recently worked with on something, to come join. And then Michael Palin, because Michael Palin, as you'd mentioned, as I had mentioned, had just was got a new show with these other guys, and that show was was not set to start for a little while. So he was like, "Oh, I'll, all right, I'll I'll come and do this BBC show with you," but you know, my, mm-hmm. why don't I bring o- over my writing partner, uh, Terry Jones, because they've basically been writing. In all these projects, those two are basically always together, Palin and Jones. Okay. And usually Idol as well, but not always. Palin brings in Jones and Idol, and then Idol suggests they bring in Gilliam. So then they fucking go. That's they. They're all there for this BBC project that was an originally offered to just Cleese and Chapman. <laughs> uh, mm. And then they're just like, "Yeah, I'll just fucking do it." So then. Basically, they all met for, like, you know, dinner on May 11th, mm-hmm. 1969, your birthday. May 11th is my yeah. birthday. <laughs> 1969. Uh, you weren't born that then yet, as far as I know. No, I was not. But after a live taping of the show, Do Not Address Your Set, uh, cl- which Cleese and Chapman went to, they went and had tandoori. Um, and they went back to Cleese's place and were basically, like, yeah okay let's fucking do monty python that's what we're gonna do um okay so then yeah fucking there you go monty python's there it airs again on 1960 so where did i get that in that's a good question i didn't actually forgot to find that specifically uh i'm sure it's a, like well-known piece of trivia that you could just google several names for the show were considered before monty python songs are gone. owl stretching time toad elevating moment so it's just i think it's just a random fucking Okay, wait, wait. Eric Idle has claimed that the name Monty was that of a popular rotund fellow who drank in the local pub. Right. And I don't know where Python came from. So according to Michael Palin, it seems that they, the the studio, they had suggested a bunch of stuff like fucking, like we were reading earlier, like frog guts or whatever, I don't know. Uh, mm-hmm. And then apparently the studio suggested John Cleese's Flying Circus. Oh. <laughs> John was not into it. So okay. they took the Flying Circus. Okay. But then they appended the Monty Python. So, like, they came up with then, apparently, according, again, according to Michael Palin, they came up with the idea, just they, they liked the idea of Python as a surname. So it, okay. I think it just kind of went from there where they were like... Yeah, so that's that seems according to Michael Palin, that's what he says happened. Um, that they basically were just coming up with funny names, and it, that's 
that's what they came up with. It seems like apparently f- fucking one of the websites I was just reading said that fucking um, the studio didn't like it because it was too silly. And then they threatened to just change the name like every week if they didn't agree with it, which seems like a hollow threat because like, how are you going to do that? It's like the night you're <laughs> the studio's the one who's airing it. <laughs> I mean, I guess maybe well, you, I don't know. you they have the, to write the, the title, title sequence, plates, I guess, right? <laughs> well, back then they didn't have like, like how. I mean, back then you were just flipping through channels. They didn't say what show you were on. Yeah, yep. So the only way you would know what the show was called was because either the show said it, or somebody on air said that this would be on later. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Or you read the TV guide. Also true, but I feel like they wouldn't have control over the TV guy. The studio would. No, they wouldn't. But I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, that's just a little anecdote. I don't ever remember having the TV guy. No, I don't think that was ever a thing in our household. But yeah. Anyway, first Monty Python Flying Circus uh, airs 1969 October. It's pretty much you know it's not immediately a hit, but it, it it gains traction pretty quickly because it's awesome. Uh, and you know. In a matter of just a couple of years, it's 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 pretty fucking big. Second season's a hit, and then as you, okay, we started talking about this earlier. The movie, <laughs> the, but that came up before this, which is also an interesting story. But we'll just tell it rather quickly here. It's kind of 1973, 1974. Somebody in the higher up, I believe in BBC. I'm not 100 percent sure though, but somebody decided that it was time to break into the American market. Um, so they're gonna make a make a movie. I guess they couldn't get any money for it through the regular channels, so the movie was financed by Playboy. <laughs> okay. The arm of Playboy, which then, so then they made. Have you seen the movie and now for something completely different? No, I actually haven't. I've seen a lot of their other movies, but not that one. It's a good movie. I mean, it's just a series of sketches from the show. It's just like a, it's like a best of, basically, um, from the show. So they, they, they did they refilm the sketches at least? Yes. Yeah, okay. Exactly. Yeah. They're refilmed like higher budget. So it's like high budget okay, versions of the sketches. Right. Okay. But apparently they didn't really have a hell of a lot of creative control. And right. this whole process, I don't think they were that, you know, it didn't seem like they were that, you know, enamored with the whole idea. They didn't mm-hmm. love it. I think they felt kind of like they were being used a little Exploited. bit. Exploited? Yeah, exactly. And they had, like, no creative control, and they, like, apparently fought back with Playboy about, like, what would be in it, and just various... Mm-hmm. It was just not fun. Not a not a good time. And at this point, apparently, John Cleese is starting to get kind of bored with the whole thing, and he wants to move on and, you know, start doing something else. Maybe write his own show. Yeah, maybe write his own show. <laughs> but we're not there yet. We're not there yet. <laughs> we're not there yet, but he's, he's thinking about it. But they convinced yeah. him to do a, uh, a, third ster- a third series after the first two. Mm-hmm. But but at this point, they had fucking, you know, the show running. They had two books, several records, and the movie. So it's like, this is taking up literally all of their time. Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, if that's what you want to do, like, if that's your job and that's what you're committed to, that's awesome. Because they were probably making boatloads of money at this point. Like, you know, if it was all about the money, like, I'm sure it would, he would have been <laughs> satisfied. Like, I'm sure they're, I mean, I'm mm-hmm. speculating, but... With all the merch, I mean, you never content. know. Yeah, no, tons of ton, especially at this time yeah. period. Like artists yeah. were getting fuck bilked out of 
money. Yeah. So much money. But yeah, he, he wanted to move on is the point. Yeah. Basically, he he wants to go. I think he starts even making faulty towers at this point. Or like conceiving right. of it. Um, at okay. least. And, and apparently uh, Terry Jones and, and Graham Chapman apparently, according to, 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 to John Cleese, were very annoyed with him. He, they were not happy about his like, you know, because I think they like I just said, I think they acknowledge like, hey, we have something really fucking good here. Why do you want to why do you want to go do your own thing? Yeah, and I mean, uh, like, at the beginning of all this, which is probably, you know, uh, you can you can infer from the fact that they wanted to call it John Cleese's Flying Circus, he was definitely, like, kind of a marquee at the beginning of it. Like, I think they definitely all made, you know, more names for themselves over the process, but he's definitely still one of the the bigger names in it. Like, well, I mean, I said right at the beginning, like... Who do you and who do I know mostly yeah. is John Cleese? Yeah, and that a lot of that has to do with his career afterwards. Be, but a lot yeah. of his career afterwards has to do with this, <laughs> you know. Yeah, like he wanted to. He he had bigger aspirations than than just Monty Python, which is no better nor worse. I'm not like that's not like a good or a bad thing. Obviously, it's just what he wanted to do. Uh, we mm-hmm. do, we're not we do not editorialize. I'm not. I'm not gonna judge. Exactly. We editorialize all the time, though. That's on. That's. I know that was that was a true. joke. That was total bullshit. <laughs> we editorialized like probably several times already this episode. Yeah. But yeah. So apparently, though. So you know, Jones and Chapman, Terry Jones, Graham Chapman, very annoyed with him. He doesn't want to do, you know, another series. They've already done three. Um, Cleese wants to go in a different direction. They pitch the idea of doing a movie. Let's do another. Let's do an original movie. And apparently mm. this kind of, this Cleese was more into that than he was doing another series. He was like, okay, this is something different, you know? It's something something more interesting than what we've been doing. So so they got him on board to do that. So they're, they're fucking into it. Everyone had always wanted to do a movie, so they fucking, they're going to do it. Movie time. So this brings us to the pre-production period of the film. Mm-hmm. Which <laughs> is pretty hilarious. So... It's directed by the two Terrys. Did do you know why the two Terrys are the directors? Did do you ever wonder why those two? Why they ended up being the directors? Yeah, I mean Gilliam. It makes sense because you know he was always kind of more behind the scenes. Yeah, true. But no, I don't know why Terry Jones did it. No. No, well, me neither. Again, I mean, yeah, you're right. Terry Gilliam does make sense. He's kind of the seems like a the creepy guy he looked a lot like neil young too i just want to point out in the fucking in that uh in that yeah definitely at the time well he he had his weird haircut there i assume because he was uh playing uh in the movie yeah 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 what was his character's name again patsy patsy yeah he's playing patsy yeah yeah probably (laughs) he's telling he looked a lot like neil young (laughs) (laughs) yeah i can see that apparently during the fucking during the show there had always been issues with the Terrys and the directors of the of the TV shows. Apparently. Right, so they didn't direct their own episodes. No, there were BBC directors okay. who would come in to mm-hmm. do it. And the other guys didn't really give a shit. They just did the stuff. But apparently the Terrys were always very upset with how, you know, cheap and shitty it looked because you you do notice that when you watch, you know, old Monty The Flying Python. Circus, yeah. 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 Well, like, I assumed it looked cheap and shitty because it was cheap and shitty. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and they were saying like, yeah, the the BBC didn't really like 
give comedy like a lot of budget. They didn't really think it mm-hmm. was you know worth giving a lot of budget. So it was always looked kind of shitty and shabby. But, you know, these fucking Terry's always thought they could do better. They're like, they could always do better. And apparently Terry Jones apparent like specifically got into fights with the director over like the lighting um, okay. on the show. And then on the film as well, like the Playboy film, he got into fights with the director. Mm-hmm. And like the lighting is terrible. Like fix it. I think the look of this movie ended up being really good. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Yeah, it ended like, up um, really good actually. In the, like in the ways that when it turned when it worked out. Yeah, exactly. Like uh I I think that there are sections of this movie that didn't look cheap. Exactly. There are sections of this movie that actually look really good. Like that end mm-hmm. end bit. Like Oh, a- where they have all they cross, the after they cross the bridge, like the shots are all yeah. actually really fucking good. Well, I think they do a lot to make the the landscape work for them. Totally, yeah. Like, they make the setting work for them instead of having the, like, having to build something that looks good. Absolutely, and we'll talk about that more next week when we get into the production. Yeah. Because there is actually a lot of interesting stuff. Like yeah, that. I would say so. But anyway, so the Terrys ended up directing it. Uh, yeah, so I, nobody, b- but no, nobody's against that idea. Okay, so it was written by, basically, I mean, everyone obviously wrote it, because they're all credited, but it started... You know, they they just said they're going to write a movie. Palin and Jones um, have this kind of vague idea of a medieval script, which kind of has the first scene in the film with, like, the coconuts. Like, you know, people, like, talking about the the swallows and the coconut or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then, like, it kind of builds from here, you know, this this main idea. Apparently, Cleese Cleese had a great quote where he said, uh, we had no idea how to do narrative in a movie. It's like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and you still don't. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I guess they were just used to, like, doing, like, because the skits were never that long, right? No, and they're never about They narrative. never had to, like, keep a narrative going yeah, there's not, for very long at all. There's not really characters in them, per se. Yeah. There's, you know, people who deliver dialogue deliver bits yeah but there is there is a a plot in this movie that moves forward slowly yeah yeah it very slowly like plows forward like weirdly so because it's not really scene by scene and yet it progresses like like well i feel like they just decide at certain points hey the movies we're gonna have some plot happen yeah exactly they have just kind of like they have like a plot moment and then so i i would say it's not seamless no it's not well there's like (laughs) i mean yeah as we were saying earlier there's also those fucking uh uh the animation bits with the the voiceover which definitely make a huge difference like Mm -hmm to the cohesiveness of the movie. <laughs> yeah. Because they basically, like, any time that there needs to be, like, a scene where people would come together and have, like, genuine dialogue to carry the plot forward, they just do it. They an just anim- don't do it. Yeah, they just don't do exactly, it or do yeah. an animation. <laughs> Which is great. But in terms of, like, it kind of makes sense because, you know, it's it's obvious. I mean, not kind of. It absolutely makes sense because it's Monty Python writing it. But it is essentially just a series of skits with characters that are reused. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's just a bunch set in a medieval setting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just like a bunch of skits in a similar theme, 
with some uh-huh. animation to tie it together. <laughs> exactly. And it worked really well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, after they have this kind of vague idea, they all go kind of their separate ways and do some, you know, thinking and some writing. And then they all bring it back together and start kind of mashing their ideas together. Mm-hmm. And it took them a while, obviously, to get it in place. It took them, like, Junkley's was saying, it took them, like, four treats- treatments to get, like, you know, where they were happy with it. But at that point, it was still, like, pretty sketchy. And half of it took place in present day. Exactly, yeah. And they took out almost all of that, from what I understand. Yeah, like, everything except for basically the, like... Them getting arrested at the yeah, end. Yeah, exactly, which isn't really present story. day per se. It's more just... It doesn't make any sense, really. It's just weird, exactly. It's not, like, <laughs> cut into present day. It's just... It's just absurd. It's, yeah. At this point, it's all kind of, you know, half and half. Eric Idle was saying that it was pretty clear, though, that the part that had legs was the the medieval bit, the King Arthur storyline. So they just fucking mm-hmm. cut the rest out and focused on that. According to everybody, they fought a lot during the writing process of this movie and during the show. Mm-hmm. And it's, I mean, not necessarily in like a toxic way per se. I mean, that can be extremely toxic in some places. And I, I'm not saying it wasn't here, but um, Cleese described it as creative tension. Well, I mean, whenever you have six guys all working on one script at the same time, I think you're going to have problems. Yeah, whenever you have six guys working on anything, like, look at the Eagles, man. Like, they fucking, <laughs> like... How many guys are in the Eagles? I don't know, actually. That's probably around, right? Around six. <laughs> I don't actually... I don't actually know. It depends how... At depends what how time? You count it. Yeah, at what time. Uh, but anyway, Only that's five. not that important. Only five. There's never been six. Okay, well, maybe at one time. Right now, there's only yeah. four. Anyway, that's okay, not important. Okay, but like I was saying, that's not important. Uh, like, I think one of the ways that movies get away with having a lot of writers, but then not having them fight, is they do it in series. Like, they have one guy write a version of the script and then have a different guy yeah, right, pick up right. where the other guy left off. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. So then there's no opportunity for, like, you know, um, clashing, really. Yeah, it's, like, a different type of collaboration. Exactly, it's yeah. It's, like, yeah, it's, like, having five writing partners at once. Exactly. Which no, is like, not easy. Exactly. To, like, yeah, collaborate. And, e- like, everybody's going to think, like, you know, their, their idea is the best one, right? Yeah, and, like, I mean, like... John Cleese was saying, I mean, that can be a good thing. Uh, creative tension yeah. can be a good thing to, you know, kind of push each other to, you know, do you do better stuff if that's, you know, how you work. Which clearly yeah. it worked for them to some degree. Yeah. So, they're writing scripts, writing treatments. It takes them a while to fucking figure out the details, but they're getting it, uh, getting yeah. it done. Um, and then we were talking kind of earlier about how Chapman, uh, Graham Chapman, kind of only plays Arthur. Yeah. And I was I was watching this this uh, interview with Michael Palin where he described it as a sacrifice that he played Arthur. Yeah, I, I think I saw that. Yeah, I thought that was super yeah. interesting cuz I hadn't considered it that way at all. But it's interesting. Um he was saying it's like it's a sacrifice because A because he's like 
we were saying in a Monty Python skit, he's kind of the straight man in a lot of ways. Um, mm. And he is also like in most of the movie, so it's kind of harder for him to be other side other characters. characters. And then yeah. also just because he's the main character, it makes less sense to have him play because he's such an important main character. It makes well, less sense to have bit characters also be just him. From a like practical perspective, like there, they mentioned. Uh, I think Terry Gilliam was talking about like uh, how, you know, because they had so many different people playing different characters, they had to be really careful about who they wrote in the same scene. Yeah, right. Exactly. So that they wouldn't have two people in the same scene that are played by the same yeah, actor. Yeah, and they did occasionally, and they just didn't. <laughs> they show did, them. but like that would be a lot harder because he's in almost Arthur every scene. is in most of the scenes. Yeah. Yeah, basically. And he's the, the, I'm trying to think, like, the only scene I can think of, like, uh, some of the only scenes I can think of that he's not in, he is one of the extra characters. Like, the three-headed beast, he's the middle Yeah, head. exactly. Well, yeah. That's Sir Robin Encounters. That's the only one I can think of off the top of my head. Yeah. But I'm sure there's, like, maybe one or another one, because there's, again, so many. So many. Yeah. But, yeah, so they're fucking, they've got a lot going on. They've got this fucking sick script coming together. Um, It's Monty Python. But yeah. Although I, I I did get the sense that like um when they say the script came together like it seems like it had a lot of changes like on the set. Oh, I mean come together as in they have they know what the movie's going to be about. I think yeah, when exactly. they decided to make a movie they they had no idea what it was going to be about. They're just yeah. like, yeah, let's make a movie. They didn't ha- it's not like they had an idea for a movie and they were like, let's make this into a movie. <laughs> yeah. They were like, let's make a movie. Uh, uh, King Arthur, and that's kind of what I mean yeah. by like th- th- when they kind of figured got their shit together with the treatment, like th- when they decided. But yeah, like you say, we'll talk about that a bit more next week. But yeah, they definitely, I think there was some last minute adjustments yeah, made. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so you can talk about the funding. Yeah. Yeah, this is interesting. This is very interesting. The fucking the cowards um, of the film world in London, I assume. The cowards there did not want to finance a Monty Python film. You know. Do we actually know if they like went to like somebody to get funding and got rejected a bunch of times, or like? I don't know that they like they. No one ever said that they specifically explicitly got rejected, but. Tons of people said that nobody wanted to fund them. Okay, I see. So, um, well, a couple of people really wanted to fund them. No one <laughs> conventionally, no, <laughs> none of the, yeah, none of the convention. So this is in, uh, an independent film in a sense. In a sense, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, no, it's not. A, it is. Yeah. I guess. Um, but basically, they ended up getting uh, funding from. Who they described as the hardcore Monty Python fans. Who some describe as. One that one Sorry? guy did. Who, who was it that said that? He was a producer. Um his name is Mark Forstater. Right. He said a couple times that they were huge uh Monty Python fans. Which I don't yeah. I, I don't deny. Yeah. <laughs> but there were other s- several other reasons that came up. But yeah, did you, so did you say the bands that? So basically, they ended up getting a lot of 
money from you know musicians specifically like i believe uh pink floyd led zeppelin and uh ian anderson of jethro toll like yeah. he put up some money uh uh who else did uh genesis genesis yeah um and then i think some other maybe some other bands um but mm-hmm. also like the record companies and that like made monty python records and i think island records is one of the ones that came up it's like a lot mm-hmm. of sources but yeah predominantly i think the, the, the big one is a led zeppelin genesis pink floyd and the jethro tall yeah not all of jethro tall though <laughs> Yeah, and then also the uh, a theater producer named Michael White, not Mike yeah. White, who we talked about in School of Rock, who played oh right yeah, yeah. Nedge Neely, and uh, it was claimed was Eric Idle did he claim that at one point that uh, Elton John put up money, but then later this was no I forget it's not clear or something. Eric Idle's the one who debunked it, but yeah, some okay. someone claimed. Quote unquote, somebody on did. from somebody from Python said that Elton John did, but yeah. apparently Eric Idle said this didn't happen. Yeah, because Eric Idle like uh, was like, yeah, apparently yeah. he tweeted about it, and then one of them said something about it, and then he tweeted about it again, being like, "No, not Elton John. I don't know. I don't know." So possibly Elton John was asked for money, but maybe Elton John said no. Yeah, maybe maybe he said no. Maybe it's a big scandal. Maybe Eric Idle said yeah. better about it. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Elton John said no. Elton John did not give us any fucking money. Yeah. But Michael White, not not Mike White, Michael White gave them some money. Same guy who made Rocky Horror the same year. Um, oh, wow. So that's kind of cool. Same. Having quite the year. Yeah, 1975. But yeah, so the, like you were saying, the, like, or rather I was saying, some, he was suggesting the, the producer... Uh, Mark Forstater was was suggesting that they were just they did it because they were just big fans, um, but well, I think that's probably partially true. Yeah, I'm sure it is partially true. But Ter- uh, Terry Gilliam suggested that it was a uh, it was more of a tax loss or tax write yeah. off. Yeah, but my my point is that I'm sure there are plenty of things that they could you know write off as a tax loss. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not arguing that they did. They picked I'm not this. Saying- yeah, no, I'm sure that they were fans because they were also yeah. they. I mean, I would really like to get Led Zeppelin or one of the bands, you know, perspective on it because all the perspectives were from like people on this side of the yeah exactly the aisle, and they were all like speculating, like you know, it, you know they, they the idea is that they kind of see uh, them as contemporaries in a lot of ways, you know. Like mm-hmm. they're kind of rebellious. The the Monty Python's the rock and roll of comedy, in a lot of ways. The the British yeah. rock and roll of comedy, and those you know some British bands. <laughs> yeah, that is a connection. They are both British. Yeah, yep, yep. So, but yeah, so there was this. Gilling was suggesting that they did it because they expected the movie was probably not going to make a lot of money, so they could write it off. But because the movie made a lot of money, he said. He said, "Quote." He said, "It probably quote made their tax problems worse." <laughs> right. Yeah. Which I thought was hilarious. I mean, he's obviously not necessarily uh, an authority, but still funny. Yeah. Regardless of how or why they get fucking four hundred grand from 
the bands and the music studios and you know this kind of eclectic source of independent funders or uh, investors and then uh yeah that's that's basically the pre-production because then they just go fucking right to it because they have the movie you know they've got their script they just need to you know uh get their locations and all that but we'll talk about all that next week because we've been yammering on in this well i've been yammering on (laughs) (laughs) because uh there's a lot to say and i'm very interested in a lot of it it's good stuff but yeah we'll talk about more about the production next week want to the the budget i'm seeing a couple different figures for the budget for a couple different places um the 400 grand they said in uh a documentary i was watching as well as just on this where were you seeing the other figures what other figures do you see i i saw 319,000. oh interesting where'd you see that uh maybe that was pounds because it's 400 we'll get this all straightened out for next week yeah because this is here is let's just U.S. dollars, I don't know. Anyway, before next week, because next week is coming next week, but we have more for you this week. We're not just going to leave you with this. We've got some more fun, some good stuff, and I think uh, those of you who have been here before know what I'm talking about. All right, welcome to Six Degrees of Star Trek. This is the segment of the program where we talk about the connections between this film and Star Trek. This is generally when somebody in the film or who's worked on the film has worked on another film. Yeah, well, with this somebody. is this is the Star Who? Trek Dead Zone. It, oh, because the nineteen seventies. Yeah. All right. So, do you think I have a lot of connections or not many? I think not many because it's an independent film with a very insular cast. Well, I have six connections. Jesus Christ. <laughs> That's <laughs> a lot more than I thought. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, I, there are no direct connections. Okay. okay. That I was able to find. How? What are, what is the closest connection that you have? I have six of them, and they are all... Uh, a single uh, indirection, shall we say. Uh, okay, that's cool. So, what are they from? So, uh, let's start with a film called Little Lord Fauntleroy. Fauntleroy, I don't know, I've never seen this movie. It's from 1980, starring Ooh. Alec Guinness uh, and some other people. But, importantly, Connie Booth is in this film. Connie Booth, in, uh, in Monty Python Hill Grove, played The Witch. Oh, and shit. she also, she was also in Faulty Towers, uh, notably. Yeah, yeah. Well, she was. Yeah, she was a, also in, you know, the Flying Circus. She was. Yeah, exactly. Around. Yeah, um, and I believe uh, she was actually married to John Cleese at the time. Oh well, there you go. <laughs> yeah, and and also, in this film, Little Lord Fauntleroy, 
is one Patrick Stewart. Where is this? I can't. Oh, there it is. 1980. Because there's also a 1936 film. It might be a remake. And yeah, then there's here's the 1980. So. But yeah, Patrick Stewart. Patrick fucking Stewart. Movie. Who does he play? Who? In Wilkins. this film. Wilkins. Who's Wilkins? Once again, I've never seen this film. I don't know nothing about this film. I want to know who. They don't have anything about Wilkins on IMDb. But I'll tell you who he is. He is John Luke Picard, Captain of the Star Yeah, that's who he is, Wilkins. I bet it's just the holodeck. Right. This whole movie looks like the holodeck. Does it? Yeah. Okay. Well. The next connection we have is to through Terry Gilliam. Okay. The film is the film he directed, The Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus. Oh, yeah. Okay. Which contains one Christopher Plummer. Oh, yeah, it does. Now, Christopher Plummer, as we all know, was in Star Trek. Star Trek VI, I believe, The Undiscovered Country. Yes, we have used him before, and we will use him again because he is a fantastic connection and a legendary Canadian. Absolutely. As many of you know, he played General Chang in that film. General Chang, Christopher Plummer. The next connection we have, I'm just going to keep going because there yeah, are six. Yeah, yeah, keep, keep them coming. We have um, Little Lord through Lord. the 2006 animated uh, film The Wild, oh, which yeah. is a ripoff, basically, of Madagascar, from well, what I understand. It was apparently very poorly received. Yes, there's also, but I've heard that the wild was conceived prior. Okay. And it just kind of got fucked because of its production schedule and it ended up coming out after. That's what I've okay, heard. Okay, and it ended up being, yeah. But anyway. Very similar to Madagascar. Um, Eric Idle was in this film. And so was William Shatner. Holy shit. Yeah, Eric Idle's the koala, I believe. Uh. Eric Idle is the wildebeest. Ah, damn. So who's the koala? Shatner is also a wildebeest. Interesting. So they're both wildebeests. Yeah. Okay. The next connection we have is also okay. through Eric Idle. Don Cherry's in that movie. Is he? In the wild, <laughs> by the way. Okay. Interesting. Um, we also have Eric Idle in this movie that we're going to talk about. And that is South Park, Bigger, Longer, and Uncut. (laughs) The 1999 South Park movie. No way. Um, Eric Idle plays Dr. Vossnocker. (laughs) And also in this movie is Brent Spiner. Oh, fuck yeah! Who, in this movie, plays Conan O'Brien, apparently. (laughs) <laughs> really, that's weird, weird. Uh, weird uh, connection but as as you may know Brent Spiner importantly plays Data in Star Trek The Next Generation that's so weird that he's Conan O'Brien in that movie I'm gonna have yeah. to pay attention to that does he play Conan O'Brien in the South Park universe I don't I don't I don't know maybe <laughs> Anyway, that's weird. That's weird as hell. That's awesome. And the next film, also with Eric Idle in it. Eric Idle. So we were saying John Cleese has done a lot, but look, Eric Idle has been around. I Eric mean, Idle. Actually, there's it. only one connection that I'm going to go through John Cleese. 
Interesting. Although I probably could have found more, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, they're probably, if you really want to keep going. I stopped at six. Fair enough. So this is in the infamous film, an Alan Smithy film, Burn, Hollywood, Burn. Burn, Hollywood, Burn. I don't remember that film. I haven't seen it, but apparently it's infamous for being terrible. Alan Smithy film. Oh, that's actually in the title, an Alan Smithy film, Burn, Hollywood, Directed Burn. Directed by... Alan Smithy, but that would take some explanation. It says Alan Hiller here. No, but in reality, credited uh. as Alan Smithy. Because, okay, let me do a really quick uh, expl- explainer here. So there used to be a name in Hollywood where if you don't want your name on the movie you directed, you oh, can replace right, it with right, Alan right. Smithy. Right, 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 right. So, in the film, there it, there is a plot point about that. Yeah, right. However, the film ended up being so bad that the director actually changed his actually, name for Alan Smithy. That's ridiculous. There is some... Um, I think there is some uh, speculation that that was a marketing ploy, but I still think it's funny. But anyway, Eric Idle was in this movie, and so was Whoopi Goldberg. Oh, well, very f- n- another next-gen connection right there. Next-gen, played Guinan. Yeah. Okay. Ugh, Harvey next Weinstein film. was in that movie. Ugh. Ooh. Uh, Sylvester Stallone and Jackie Chan, apparently. In that movie? <laughs> yeah. Weird movie. Yeah, apparently it's awful, though. I haven't watched it. Yeah, I mean, it sounds awful. I've not heard anybody saying anything good about it. Uh, The next film, which is our last connection here, does have John Cleese in it. Okay, here we go. What movie is that? So, have you seen the film Rat Race? I think so. Rat Race. Is this the 1981 or the 2001? Yeah. Oh, no, I have not seen this movie. John Cleese is in it, and so is Whoopi Goldberg, again. Again, yeah. Is that Rowan Atkinson, too? Yeah. It's quite the cast for this movie, actually. Yeah, it looks like a pretty good movie. Yeah. Is it a good I haven't seen it in a while, but I seem to remember it being pretty funny. Hmm. Yeah. Seth Green. But, yeah, lots of of, uh, Star Trek connections there. Wow, yeah, way more than I thought. Like, literally, I I thought it would be very difficult. But, yeah, I guess the Monty Python cast has such a big career afterwards that specifically Eric Idle, I guess. Eric Idle, yeah, has been... Like, once again, I think Eric Idle has been in a lot of things that aren't, like, starring roles, you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. He's been a bit actor enough that he's touched elbows with the salt of the earth. Exactly. Uh, But he's never been in Star Trek. At least not yet. Not yet. He still has a chance. Definitely. Uh, I don't know. It would yeah. be weird, but... What are you talking could, about? Could... They even figured out a way to get David Cronenberg into Star Trek. <laughs> I mean, that's honestly <laughs> more on brand <laughs> <laughs> than Eric Idle, but still possible. I mean, yeah. anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway... um, that's it. That's those are the connections. Yeah, that's that's good. That's fucking sick. This has been a very silly episode. I feel like. Yeah. It's it's a silly movie. It is a silly movie, but yeah, that's a, that's excellent connections. 
Six of them. Six uh, connections. Yeah, that's great. All right. Well, let's uh, let's wrap it up. We're, we've we've been talking about this movie. I think for a we've while. been talking for long enough. Yeah, we can. Uh, we'll talk about it more uh, uh, next week when we talk about the actual production of the movie and some real stuff, maybe, and per- perhaps some other stuff about you know how it was made in other ways. Maybe. You know? Yeah. Knows? You never know. Who knows? You never Who know what's what going to come. Stuff, will, stuff happens and we don't even know about it sometimes. So, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. yeah. We'll see you uh, next next week. I don't know. If we have oh, yeah. A uh, quick shout out to our listeners in Ukraine. Oh, yeah. Fucking right. Thanks for tuning in. Support Ukraine. Let's end the show. Yeah.